Well, we're seeing lots of discussion about the plan that was released by the Ford government, but we haven't seen... It just feels like they're going to have to respond in some way to class sizes. Like, it's the obvious thing that they're just ignoring completely. August 3rd. Pacific Holiday Monday. Mm-hmm. Ontario's are not value right now is 0 0.82. Mm -hmm. And they reported 116 cases today. But weekly cases might be a better metric. Mm -hmm. 833. Mm -hmm. Which we're back under 1,000. So that's good. And you were saying Toronto is continues to do Toronto's well. Toronto's doing very well. Yeah, we had... Mm -hmm. A day in the past week or two where there were zero new cases. Mm -hmm. Today was 14. Mm -hmm. And we have had 114 cases in the past week. But what's notable is if you look at weekly new cases for all the Ontario health units, Toronto now has the third highest number of weekly new cases as opposed to the first highest mm -hmm. number of mm -hmm. weekly new cases, which is what we have had for the entirety of this pandemic, I believe. Which makes sense, like... Um, but anyways, yeah, it makes sense, yes. Um, but now Windsor and Ottawa... Windsor had 183 cases this week and Ottawa had 157 cases this week. Mm -hmm. um, but... I mean, 116 cases a day in the whole province is mm. pretty good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Especially from where we came from. So mm -hmm. we are in a good position for reopening schools, uh -huh. which is going to happen in five weeks. Yeah. We haven't seen any... Well, we're seeing lots of discussion about the plan that was released by the Ford government, but we haven't seen... It just feels like they're going to have to respond in some way to class sizes. Like, it's the obvious thing that they're just ignoring completely. Yeah. We'll it's it so goes. expensive. So, yeah. Class sizes are the second most important thing, I think. What's the first most? The first most important <laughs> thing <laughs> has nothing to do with schools, oh. but is just community transition, community transmission. Yeah, yeah, right. So I think no matter what class size you have and how many masks you have and how much social distancing you do at school, yeah. if you have high community transmission, you should not be opening your schools. That's the first most important thing. Yeah. And then... Like if you're in the midst of an outbreak, you should just shut it down temporarily. Like go to home. Yeah. Go to home for... Until you can get to a certain yeah. level. Right. I think... I mean, that's... That's a viewpoint that's out there. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And then class sizes... Why do I think class sizes are important? Like, I haven't seen any modeling on this, so maybe I'm saying this without evidence, but I'm saying it because 
other people say it. <laughs> yeah, I can show you. <laughs> because Sick Kids said that that's the yeah. most important thing. Because David Fisman says that's an important thing. Because Denmark and Norway and Germany cut their class sizes. All had cohorts of fifteen. Yeah. But mostly, I'm saying it's the most important thing because Sick Kids said that that should be the highest prioritized thing yeah yeah it's it's one this is the thing where i uh, we were talking earlier today about how in school they do if, if you've had a teacher that is doing like probability with you they say you know they do the thing where like how many people like what's the probability that two people in the same class have the same birthday and it feels like the probability of that should be low very low but it's actually very high and it happens like it's it's surprisingly high. We're we're poor yeah. human beings are poor at understand or being able to like what's the word? Like not understand. Estimate. Yeah, we're bad at estimating that kind of probability. Mm -hmm. And it's it's that's the kind of thing we have to figure like get into our heads and be able to estimate the risk. I mean, you just do the math. I think that's what people do and model it as someone so on Twitter someone posted this I am Grund at I am Grund went through and calculated for the different health units in Ontario what different class cohort sizes how the risk changes going from 9 okay. 12 15 18 yes. 21 24 going all the way up to 33 Let me see that so I think this is t this chart is assuming you're following the high school plan so it's which is half time in class but the idea is the same it's y you know you could do this kind of calculation and the point is it really depends exactly as you say like depending on what the local transmission rate is so they have all the health units and so Toronto it's I think if you had a class size of nine it's something like point four percent is that what it says for Toronto yep at point at nine and but if you go up to like a 33 you go up to like a 1.4 percent 1.4 percent chance that someone in the class so a, a student or a teacher i think yeah will come in can transmit COVID would, would be transmiss yeah would would be yeah whatever that mean i don't know how exactly they define that but yeah and so so this yeah. So this is this is an amazing yeah. chart. So you have to keep So in Toronto because our numbers are so low. Yeah. It's a pretty low chance regardless of your class size. Yeah. But then if you're in Windsor Essex, yeah. for example, by the time you hit class sizes of Oh my goodness. Um Numbers you go very start. You start at four point two percent. Yeah. With classes of nine. Yeah. By the time you're at twenty one, you're at a nine point six percent chance. By the time you're at thirty three, you're at a fourteen point six percent chance. So this underscores my earlier comment that community transmission is the first is and most important thing. Yeah. So, yeah. if you're in Windsor, if you're in Southwestern, I don't even know where that public health unit is. 4.4% chance at nine people. If you're in Chatham-Kent. If you flip, you can, I think you can go to the other, there's a map. 
that shows i think some of the like some of the mm-hmm. oh i see the, those health units there but anyways yeah so it's exactly oh, and there's a chart for event gathering or group sizes too yeah Oh my goodness. I think this, this is, is amazing. So the thing is, I think this is a fairly simplistic, probably overly simplistic way of calculating. So if you go back to the first picture, what they're doing mm-hmm. is they're saying this is the number of people in Ontario right now that m- can transmit the virus or this is how many people in each health unit can transmit the virus. But mm-hmm. there's a, a l- some number of those people are in hospitals, some number are in long-term care. Like it's an overly simplistic way of you know it doesn't say how they calculated it uh, so if you read like so if you look at i don't know i was trying to understand i didn't look at it in too much detail but on the first picture there on the first they're saying transmissible infections so i think that they're probably not counting people in hospital so they're talking about people in the community what i thought it meant so. was cases of active virus like people that are you know how they're saying after two weeks, you kind of assume that the person is, that the case is closed, like they're they're no longer, the case mm-hmm. is no longer transmissible. So I think they're taking the number of people that are, rep- that report, you know, get positive tests, right, mm-hmm. over the last s- two weeks, and then they're saying that's how many people in Ontario, like the case count in Ontario, mm-hmm. probably is what they're doing. They're taking this case count and then. Right. So you could play with that number a lot. Yeah. Like that's um, a, I think it's an overly simplistic way to yeah. calculate this. Yeah. But, but it's a very good, it's a very good landmark to say like, so maybe for class sizes, you don't need to do small class sizes in every part of ontario yeah but maybe if you hit a certain number in your health unit yeah yeah you need to have more flexible i don't know how you'd possibly do that but because it's going to change right i mean what what hopeful yeah i mean i think you're going to get hot spots that are going to pop up Mm -hmm. and you have to be but what do you do yeah do you s- somehow try to split the class in half when you get a hotspot in an area? You could do something like that. You could try to do something like that. Yeah. Have a bunch of extra teachers that jump in and just take half a class in areas where there's higher transmissibility. Yeah. I don't know. The The challenge we were talking about, too, is like with extra teachers, like, so, you know, the challenges from staffing are huge. Because people can't be even have the sniffles like you were saying. They can't even have the sniffles and come into work. So mm-hmm. you're going to have, uh, you're, and I don't know what they're doing with supply teachers. Like, are they going to let a supply teacher come in? Yeah. Will supply? T- will there even be a supply of supply teachers? Because well, that's the well, I think people. they're trying to hire more. Yeah. But, but do those yes, people want those jobs? there will be supply teachers. Like you're talking about a supply teacher is basically going to go in in a case where a teacher is sick or, stu- you know, like like it's a high, high risk situation. In, in a case where a teacher is... I, I don't know if I say high, high risk, but it is a more high risk situation than going just norm- into a random class. Yeah. I I'm saying perceived high risk yes, situation. Like perceived. I would feel like 
you know, I would just, if I was in that role, I'd be like, I don't know, uh, do I really need this job? Like I can mm-hmm. right now that that's kind of how I'd be if I was a supply teacher. Yeah. But I think like the, I don't know. I keep going back and forth on like being calm about it and being anxious about it. Like, is this, does this feel safe or does this feel unsafe? I just keep flipping back and forth. Right now, it feels very safe to me. Until it's not. Exactly. You have to remember that all the numbers that we are seeing. Two weeks, yeah. Are two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. So that's what it is. But like right now, the way things are right now, it feels like we're pretty steady, low. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the spread, even in Toronto, it's not. Like it's not where we are. So a like how many of those, mm-hmm. like whatever it is, fourteen to twenty people every day that are testing positive, where are they in Toronto? I don't think like there there's not no, very not. many from here. Yeah. Specifically. So it's like right now it feels very safe, but yeah, that could change at any time. Yeah, and you don't know until mm-hmm. it has already changed. Yeah. That's the like you the chances of it affecting any one person are so low yeah but it's gonna happen to someone <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> right yeah. so it's like yeah absolutely maybe that's us maybe that's our kids class like yeah i mean chances are low but y- yeah. y- this is this is the risk so i was reading something interesting this morning yeah um it was by Emily Oster. She's um, an economics professor, maybe in Chicago. Mm -hmm. She wrote a book called Expecting Better, which is about um, data during pregnancy Mm -hmm. and how to make actual evidence-based decisions and how about how so many pregnancy books are just quoting other pregnancy books and some information's (laughs) from like 1972 (laughs) and just... Anyways, I really liked that book. So I've been keeping tabs on her. She's doing a lot of COVID stuff. So on her blog, she has um, an article called Triangulating Evidence on Outbreaks in Kids Settings. So what she's doing, she wants to know the answer to this question of is it safe for kids to go back to school? Yeah. There is no data. So she's just trying to collect it. Mm-hmm. She's like, it would be much better if I wasn't doing this. <laughs> like if this was actually being collected properly. Yeah. But she's just kind of like crowdsourcing it. Like yeah. she's got a form. Yeah. Put it out there on Twitter. Have people submit stuff. Mm-hmm. So what she has seen in, and this is in the U.S., mm-hmm. it's pretty... It's it's pretty reassuring. So, like, what she's seeing is that most centers do not have outbreaks, right? So, you need to have, you need to kind of have one or the other or both of not being, not following the rules and having bad luck, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, y- <sighs> where are the numbers? It's like in the in the media, mm-hmm. you see just the outbreaks, mm-hmm. right? But then 
when you're sourcing and just asking camps and daycares and whatever to report their numbers, you see most places do not have outbreaks mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. So now you want to see if I can find the numbers here. Um, among over 11,500 students and 3,800 staff in the most recent week, there were two students and one staff case in her data hmm. collection. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of like a proof of principle. So I heard about it. I don't know if other people probably heard about this camp in Georgia mm -hmm. where like half the camp was infected. It mm -hmm. was a massive outbreak. Mm -hmm. But then simultaneously, there's like overnight camps running in Texas and other places that mm -hmm. did not have any outbreaks. Mm -hmm. So it is not like an, ine an inevitable thing to have an outbreak. It is an inevitable thing to have cases. Mm -hmm. You will definitely have cases show up mm -hmm. at the rate that it is in the community mm -hmm. whether or not that leads to an outbreak mm -hmm. is a different thing like you can actually like if you're washing your hands if you're masking all that stuff exactly you can, you can prevent and it. and the fact that not everyone transmits this virus right for whatever reason mm -hmm. that we don't fully understand yet yeah not all people even transmit it so First, you need to have someone that's like actually transmitting it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then with hand washing, distancing, masks, outdoor stuff, you may not even have an outbreak mm -hmm. if you have a case. So, yeah, it feels when I read this, mm -hmm. I felt a little bit better even though this is not in any way a scientific study mm -hmm. she's like basically i'm just answering anecdotes with anecdotes <laughs> like yeah we need better data yeah um can i just go back to the just mm -hmm. the transmissibility number the probability thing i think mm -hmm. it's worth just noting like so at, the, at what you said the group size thing like so yeah party dinner party so this is as of, I guess, whenever this was released a few days ago, at a dinner party with 10 people, the chance of having one individual there who can transmit COVID is 0.8%. At a party with 25 people, it's 2%. 50, a gathering of 50 people, the chance is 4%. I mean, that is, are we currently allowed in Ontario 50 people gathering? Inside? I think it's in inside 50. Yeah, this doesn't. 100. Yeah, I mean, this doesn't say inside or outside, but okay. it's it's yeah, right, inside fifty, let's say. I mean, even with a hundred, the point is there's so the chance of one person being there that could transmit it. Yeah. With fifty people, it's four percent. With a hundred people, is eight percent. At a wedding with two hundred fifty people, it's eighteen percent. Thousand people, you're up to fifty-five percent. If you have twenty-five hundred, it's eighty-six percent, and over. 20,000 they're saying it's 100% chance so it's just like 4% sounds really high like allowing a group a gathering of 50 people indoors mm -hmm. like I it, think that's, that's crazy that feels really like a poor like a bad idea right now yeah. that they're allowing 
I also think that's a very bad idea. Mm -hmm. And I think that, like, that doesn't help schools reopen. Yeah. Right, because the whole key is keeping community transition yeah. transition low. Um, should we talk about Australia? No. No. Oh, I mean, yes, we should, but I just want to say one more thing. Oh, yeah. On schools and community. So there's also a New York Times opinion piece called Opening Schools Won't Be Easy, But Here's How to Do It Safely by medical, some medical doctors and infectious disease epidemiologist. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing, so same thing the most important thing is community transmission Uh they actually draw a line Uh for where community transmission should be Uh and they say in our view schools should only open in places that have fewer than 75 confirmed cases per 100,000 people cumulatively over the previous seven days and that have a test positivity rate below 5% so we easily meet that criteria now what what can you just repeat Ontario. the number one more time 75 confirmed Se- cases 75. per 100,000 people and that's 75 in a week 75 and right now we are at a hundred and in toronto yeah we're at 182 out of the population in a of week toronto. out of three million people right 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 so we are we are below that by a, a lot yeah Got it. That's a good, yeah, it's good to have a line like that. I don't know what they base that line on. That's what I'm saying. But like. It feels like that line's too high. uh, To me, that does feel too high. Yes. Um, From where we are now. Yeah. Um, But like in the States, I mean, they just, their prevalence is so much higher. If they have a line. They can't have a line. That's too low. Like they'll, no schools will be yeah. able to open at all so yeah their risk um their risk assessment might be a little different than our risk assessment yeah yeah oh the next sentence is by our count 12 states and the district of columbia meet both metrics that's all their states wow yeah wow that's a pretty like it i wonder if at at what point in ontario we would meet that line like going back into april well i can figure that out while you're talking about something else okay i can talk about something else um i can talk about australia things in australia seem to be going poorly Um, and uh, i was going to go back and search for this because i'm pretty sure australia was being you know early on when all the country, you know, everyone was trying to figure out how to deal with this in the best way and how each country was going to mm-hmm. respond to COVID. It seemed like Australia, so if Randala, who's worked, uh, who's part of the um, public health, I think he's a prof in one of the public health departments, he's um, he said something like, Canada should think carefully about whether we just want to control this mm-hmm. and push it down or if we want to try to eradicate it. Mm-hmm. These other countries, and I think Australia was one of the examples he used, he said, 
Australia is one of the countries that is trying to get rid of it, like try to get down to zero cases. I might be wrong about that. It might have been New Zealand, but we'll we'll see. I'll I'll try to search that out. But it's if it was Australia, it's very interesting, you know, thinking about you know human behavior and all you know all the things that we just don't understand very well. Now that Australia, I guess, uh, they're sweeping new restrictions across Melbourne. I guess Melbourne is kind of like a province, and Victoria is the city. Is that right? Is oh. I'm not sure, but in any case, they. I um, think Victoria is the province. Victoria is the province, and Melbourne's the city. Okay. Anyways, that they have they've a day ago they had to, um, in th- th- they started a curfew at night, so people have to be in by a certain time, and there's there's a whole bunch of really really strict. Yeah, Victoria is a state. Victoria is a state, and Melbourne's mm-hmm. the city. Okay. So, anyways, the they're having a really bad outbreak there. Um. Yeah. So if they had an approach that was more severe or more controlled to start off with, but then it, you know, it'll be interesting to find out if those kind of approaches just can't last because people get tired and, and then want out and kind of rebel against them at some point. And if that's kind of what what's led to this happening in in Australia, and the opposite would be what's happening, I guess, in Sweden, where things were looking bad. Now I think some people, like the guy, the m- the main public health guy there, at one point. You're bringing up Sweden. I haven't checked the Swedish data. Yeah, l- the last I checked. He had walked back. So initially, you know how they were very proud of the fact that they were trying to not lock things down. They mm-hmm. were continuing. They had some restrictions, but it was much a much more moderate level of restriction than we had here in Canada. Mm-hmm. They came to a point where they, the the people in charge there said if we were to do this again, we would probably do it differently mm-hmm. once they started seeing the numbers of deaths and numbers of people getting sick. Mm-hmm. Now I understand he, that c- the lead guy has walked back that statement and he says, mm-hmm. actually, I think we did the right thing. And so we're still, you know, it's only in retrospect that we're going to make sense of it. It's these only things. in retrospect. Oh, yeah. We, we can't judge Sweden for like another year at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't actually know how they're doing right now. Uh-huh. So I can't tell you. Okay. I did the math for that 100,000 thing. 75 per 100,000 cases. And what does that work out to for Toronto? Mm-hmm. So that works out to approximately to an average of 267 cases per day mm. over the course of a week. Mm-hmm. And so that's a little higher than where we were at our peak mm-hmm. in April and May. Mm. So, yeah, if we're going by the New York, that New York Times op-ed, then we never would have close schools here it just makes it seem like yeah they're just picking that number because 
that seems like a really no low number for them right now yeah because only 12 (laughs) what was it 12 states only fall under that limit yeah currently and um they have counties where there are thousands like one two three thousand cases per one hundred thousand in a week Mm-hmm. And so 75 seems pretty low yeah. to us. It's actually pretty high. Mm-hmm. It was our peak. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we might want to rethink that line, but we are well underneath it right now. Mm-hmm. Good. So that in line is just a very poor line to be for us to be considering Yeah. here. That line is but, way but too we high of a line. But it does feel like we need to have a line here for whatever, mm-hmm. you know, when do we decide to keep kids home in a particular health unit if their numbers start to creep up? Or to shrink class sizes. Or shrink class. Like, especially considering, like, you want to move fast because you're already, like, the point at which you get that data together, you're already oh. two weeks behind and it's... And here's something. Yeah. So, tr- um... The school birds had to put together like plans mm-hmm. before Ontario made their quote unquote plan, their guide, not yeah. plans, yeah. guide. Yeah. So TDSB ran some numbers and made some rough plans of, you know, three different scenarios for school. Mm-hmm. So for class sizes, so to actually keep full time school and shrink class sizes to like 15, it would cost like. 290 something million dollars mm-hmm. for the TDSB which is the equivalent of how much Ontario is putting into COVID plans for the entire province mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so very expensive but they could do it shrink class sizes to 15 for 20 million dollars if they shorten the school day by an hour or something 52 minutes or some something about an hour so hmm. what if that's like the mm-hmm. the plan you know like if numbers mm-hmm. start to go up instead of canceling school completely yeah or four days a week. like i feel like it makes more sense to do f- something like four days a week like because parents need to go to work i mean that's mm-hmm. i feel like that's at the bo- uh, like the bottom line is we need people but the, a lot of parents aren't physically going to work. They're not yet, but I think some need to. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like go phys- whether it's physical or not, but like whether you're working from home or not, but having un- uninterrupted, having more uninterrupted right. time, blocks but of uninterrupted But that's what I'm saying. Like, so, right. so they're doing five-day-a-week, full-day school for this reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if numbers start to go up and we need to think about shutting down schools instead of shutting down schools all the way. Yeah. Can we take an hour away yeah. every day or take one day away a yeah. week or whatever? Exactly. It'd be the same thing, I guess. One day, one hour a, w- a day or one day a week would be roughly the same impact. Probably. I don't know how you would actually logistically do it. Taking away one day a week, but yeah. I'm just saying having some kind of middle ground. Once the risk gets to this level, then you have to start. Yeah. And the other thing, so there are other ways, too, to lock down schools. So 
Um, our friend Christy messaged us last week. She's a teacher. She's a music teacher. Mm-hmm. And she <laughs> brought up the point of her job where she goes from class to class to class to class to teach music. And it's the same for a lot of And French teachers do this. And gym gym teachers do this. And art teachers do this. And all the specialized teachers do this. So I was looking through the Ontario Guide. And yes, this is still allowed. These teachers are still going to go class to class to class to class. Um, Which is something. They're going to be PPE'd. They're probably not going to go anywhere near children. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. They're probably going to, yeah, distance more. But they're like, I just, I, yeah. They're How just can gonna you call have a cohort? It's, it's like at what point it's does it not? not a, it's not a strict cohort at all. Like especially, the other thing is that we were, that we got into talking about when you brought that up is like a core over the course of the day, there's different people that go that watch kids, right? Like the teachers are only there for chunks of time. And then like there's at lunch, some like mm-hmm. lunch supervisors move from room to room to room mm-hmm. watching the kids. And then, you know, like that, I- it's again, like, like you couldn't possibly have a teacher watch kids from nine to three, like mm-hmm. w- just without breaks. Like they have to prep and stuff like that too. Right. So, in the guide to reopening that the province put out, they they know that the cohorts aren't strict. So, they say in the guide that they want elementary students to be limited to 50 contacts per day and secondary students to 100 contacts per day. Which is interesting because secondary students have smaller classes, but I guess they're gonna have they go from they're gonna go from class teacher. to class and teacher to teacher. So they're supposed to be limited to a hundred contacts a day and elementary students to fifty contacts per day. So fi- so that's a lo- like that's a lot of contacts. That's many more than your cohort of twenty six kids in a class or whatever in kindergarten. Yeah. Yeah. So they're not expecting and like kids can go out of the class for special whatever like if they have um special needs or So they're pretty much running the school the same way. <coughs> like yeah. they're not cutting down anything. That's surprising. That's surprising that they No, I think they are cutting like down where like what they're trying well they're going to be staggering recesses and stuff like okay. so multiple so groups of kids at least don't groups of kids aren't supposed to be intermingling right, right, right. there's not going to be any extracurricular right. stuff right right no choirs no plays no sports no right. any of those things uh-huh. um no reading buddies right like classes are not going to be getting together no school assemblies uh-huh. would happen right like right. so they're gonna try and keep the ki- the classes away from each other but the teachers might move and i guess that teachers I guess will move i guess the thing about the teachers is that they will probably quickly start like they'll get into the habit of 
like sanitizing between groups, right? Like mm-hmm. they can they can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to be wearing my PPE. How you teach with PPE on, I don't know. Like a mask and a face shield. Hmm. Did they say face shields? Or are they saying masks? They're going to masks and eye protection. Bracket, face shields, close uh, bracket. Okay, okay. Kids are still, the kids are, kids what are is it masked. again? But under f- grade four, n- they're not. They're encouraged to be masked, but it's not mandatory. Yeah. Which I don't understand because it's not, mi- like they're allowing for reasonable exceptions. Yeah. So I don't know why just make it mandatory and allow for reasonable exceptions. Like, yeah. I don't understand, but anyways. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... The cohorts are weak cohorts. They're they're student cohorts, and then teachers move around. Yeah. Okay. Um. I think that was the last thing that I wanted to mention. Mm-hmm. Okay. Jokes. Jokes. Okay. So it's a visual joke. So it's a picture of two items. It's a cassette tape and it is a pencil. Mm -hmm. And it says, if you know the relationship between Mm -hmm. these two objects, you are old and at risk. (laughs) Stay home. To which Chillick said, (laughs) I know what those things are. (laughs) I was like, you are old and at risk. Stay home. Did you have cassettes? You had yes. You had lots of cassettes. I only had a few cassettes before I had got into CDs. Yeah. Like I, I can count probably on two, two hands how many cassettes um, I had. I had, um, a Cheryl Crow cassette tape, mm-hmm. Aerosmith big ones, mm. best of <laughs> Aerosmith cassette tape. Mm. And uh, I don't know, two others that I went, uh, like I bought four cassette tapes in one trip with like a birthday gift certificate Mm. one time. Mm. And then probably I went to CDs from there. I think I had Cranberries. Cranberries. to argue, is that their first one? So I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm also old and at risk. Yeah. So I guess we're staying home. Mm. All right. Good night. Good night.